This is the My Bloody Hell podcast, the podcast where we share stories about perimenopause. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to episode number 11 of the My Bloody Hell podcast. I'm your host, Lori L. Tharps. I'm a journalist, an author, a mother of three, and a newly arrived expat to the south of Spain. I'm also a card-carrying member of Team Perimenopause. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome, and I really hope you enjoy the show. If you're one of our returning listeners, welcome back, and thank you so much for listening and supporting my show. I'm glad everyone's here today, and I hope everyone listening walks away from this podcast episode feeling a little bit more informed and a little bit more inspired about their own menopause journey. On episode 11 of the podcast, my guest is Wendy Battles. Wendy is a 56-year-old African-American woman based in Connecticut. I asked Wendy to share her story on the My Bloody Hell podcast for two reasons. One, because she has a unique perimenopause story to share. Wendy suffered from fibroids, which eventually led to a hysterectomy. But because she kept her ovaries, she still went through perimenopause. Wendy explains what that was like and how having ovaries but no uterus meant perimenopause with no period. The other reason I wanted Wendy to be on the show is because she is the host of the inspirational podcast Reinvention Rebels, which is a show that highlights the stories of women ages 50 to 90 who have reinvented themselves in the second half of their lives. Wendy is a walking billboard for aging with energy and enthusiasm, and she has quite a few things to say about how we can all recast the aging narrative. I know you're going to love Wendy's remarkable story, her actionable tips for healthy aging, and her infectious enthusiasm. But before we get to all that, we have to pause to thank our sponsor. If you haven't checked out Yum Day yet, What are you waiting for? This is the perfect time to order a subscription snack box for everyone on your holiday list, including yourself, because come on, you love snacking too. Yum Day is a subscription snack box company founded by a woman of color that prioritizes snack companies led by other women and people of color. So all of the yummy offerings that you'll find in your snack box, like cactus tortilla chips or cocoa-dusted wrapped cashews or Mexican shortbread cookies are all made by companies that are women-led or POC-led. So you can feel good about gifting these tasty treats because they're tasty treats, but also because you're supporting women and people of color. It's like win-win-win gifting. And let's talk about convenience, too. I know you're not looking forward to going out to the stores and shopping for the holidays, but you still want to give your friends and family members a thoughtful gift, right? Well, get them a subscription to Yum Day. The way I see it, a subscription box is a gift that keeps on giving. So every month when a box full of cool snacks arrives on your BFF's doorstep, she or he is going to feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And you want your BFF to feel warm and fuzzy inside, right? Of course you do. Boxes can be ordered as just a one-off box or as a quarterly subscription or even an annual subscription. So make your holiday shopping easy this year. Order a subscription box for everyone on your list. 
And just to sweeten the deal, my listeners can use the code MBHPOD15, that's M-B-H as in my bloody hell, POD15, for 15% off any order from Yumday. The link is in the show notes. Go visit yumday.co. And now, let's meet Wendy Battles. I'm Wendy Battles. I am almost 57, and I live in New Haven, Connecticut. While Wendy is a podcast host, she also has a day job. I work in cybersecurity, and my official title is Cybersecurity Awareness Advisor. I work at Yale University, and it is my job to help keep our Yale community, which is faculty, students, and staff, cyber safe. So helping them understand what they need to do to stay safe online, to protect Yale data and our IT systems, as well as their own personal information, whether at work or at home. So understanding, don't click on that link. Here are some things I can do to be preventative. So it's a lot of do's and don'ts, but really encouraging them to increase their cybersecurity awareness at home and at work to stay safe online. On a day when Wendy doesn't have to worry about cybersecurity, here's how she says she would pass the time. I would be cooking something interesting because I love to cook. I love to entertain. I'm a big reader. I always have a stack of books that I'm trying to read a bunch of them at the same time, which doesn't work out that well, but I would totally be doing that. I would be exercising either outside walking. I love walking in the woods. I love nature. I love just the silence of being out in nature without my phone and being connected to technology to just really soak up and drink in the beauty that's around me. So I'd be doing that or I'd be working out, maybe lifting weights or doing yoga, you know, that kind of thing, doing something like that. Something really kind of getting in tune with my body. I might be meditating. I think I would just be doing lots of things to really feed my soul, the things I love to do. And I, you know, when I'm not doing all that kind of stuff, I probably might go get a manicure and pedicure. I do love the spa though. I will say (laughs) I love earthy, crunchy stuff, but I also love the spa. So Wendy is a woman who really embraces life. She's a natural-born optimist and can always see the glass as half full. But as we dove into her memories about getting her first period, those memories weren't so positive. I got my period when I was 13. I remember it distinctly. It was in the summer. It was the summer after seventh grade. And I was at my grandparents' house in Philadelphia. And... I remember feeling embarrassed, number one. I grew up in a family where we didn't talk about a lot of things. This is not where you, you know, my mother was like, Wendy, I can't wait for you to get your period. This is such a great time in your life. It's a, it wasn't like that at all. And I think it might've been different if I'd gotten it at home with my mom, but it was then with my grandmother who, like I would go to visit, but we weren't like super, super close. And my family just generally is kind of reserved. So it was just really awkward and it just didn't feel good. And I was just disappointed it happened when I was there and not at home because it's already weird. And, you know, it was one of those things I was trying to hide it. And my grandmother discovered in doing the laundry that she saw the blood. And I was like, so I remember feeling embarrassed about it. Not like this is a great thing. I was like, oh God, this is just terrible. And I think that that's very much 
the tone of, you know, just kind of coming into my body and learning about these things. It wasn't like I was like, this is great. It was like, hmm, I don't know about this. And, you know, and then it was just feeling bad and having cramps and all the things that often come with this that you're not used to. So now you're in your body and you're thinking, well, I don't think I like this. You know, it feels like a burden. Now I have to do this every month. Now there's all the physical things that come with it that really suck. So it definitely wasn't for me something that I felt like joyful about or some of my friends, you know, had relationships with their moms where they were just like, it was a very different perspective about it. And I didn't feel it like that way. I didn't feel that way. I I didn't like it. Yeah, I agree. What's there to like about realizing you're going to bleed every month for the next 30 plus years and that bleeding comes with cramping and pimples plus tampons? I mean, to a 13-year-old girl, tampons are confusing. One of the things I remember happening is that I totally didn't understand how to use tampons. Girl, I would have it in there wrong and it would be so painful and I'd be like in class dying because it wasn't in the right position. And it was like, be so uncomfortable. And I'd be like, this is ridiculous. I mean, I, it was just, I just thought everything about it was horrible, basically. Like all women, Wendy adjusted to having a monthly period. She figured out how to use tampons properly and life went on. But not liking her period remained a constant because Wendy developed fibroids and the fibroids affected her period. And my periods weren't... So it was uncomfortable, but it wasn't outrageously bad. I know that some women have like crazy bleeding that is just over the top. And it wasn't like that. So that part was good. But I definitely felt some discomfort with them. And I would get these weird things that would, I don't know, it was just this weird pain. It wasn't the kind of pain where you're like, oh my God, I can't go on. Or, oh my God, I can't get out of bed. But it definitely felt uncomfortable. It was something that I did not look forward to every month. And it was certainly worse than before I had them. And my, my bleeding was a little heavier, but it wasn't like out of control. But I just knew that over time it was getting worse. And so we got to that point where we're like, okay, I think because it's getting worse, we should do something about it and take some action. So at 33 years old, Wendy had a myomectomy, surgery to have her fibroids removed. And after I got them out, I felt awesome. I felt so happy that I did, had less pain during the month. And the blood was lighter so that, you know, it wasn't as heavy. So that part felt really good to me. So I was really, I felt like that was a really wise decision to remove them. The thing about fibroids is that they grow back. And in Wendy's case, that's exactly what happened. By the time she was 45 years old, her fibroids had to be dealt with again. This time around, though, they were more problematic because they were getting big. They were starting to press on different organs. Like they were pressing on my kidney. So I was constantly going to the bathroom, which I guess is very similar to, you know, when you're pregnant, right? And you constantly are going to the bathroom. And I would have these weird things that would happen to my body when I would get my period. I would get like this feeling in my stomach that felt really, I mean, they couldn't really figure it out. They couldn't say it was necessarily tied to the fibroids, but I would only get it during that time of the month. And I was like, this is ridiculous. So Wendy had a decision to make, remove the fibroids again, get a hysterectomy, try some alternative treatments. By this time I got married and my husband and I were pretty much like, we got married at 43, both for the first time, neither of us had kids. And we were kind of like, you know, I'm not sure that having children at this age is for us. 
we didn't feel like we wanted to be tied down in that way. We kept saying if we'd met and we were in our thirties, that would have been great. But I had this whole age thing in my mind. And I thought, I don't want to be at 60 having a kid going to college. Like that just didn't feel like, like, so I felt okay about potentially having his hysterectomy. And then, but first though, before I even got there, I talked to the doctor because we're thinking, well, what's the least invasive thing we could do? So that was really my first approach. You know, we talked about having them out again, but basically they were just going to grow back. So we didn't think that was a good fit. Then she said, well, there's something called embolization, uterine embolization, where they go through a vein or artery in your groin area and they put in these little beads. The whole idea is to try to stop the blood flow to the fibroid, right? That's what's causing it to grow. And you go to a radiologist that does this. And it's one of these things, it's like a simple procedure where you maybe stay overnight in the hospital, but they only give you like that twilight anesthesia. So it's not like you're under. And it felt like, well, that seems like a good option that's less invasive. It's not major surgery. So I gave that a try. That totally didn't work. And what happened is that instead of like things shrinking, it's like my stomach kept getting bigger. It's like my uterus was increasing. And it was the oddest thing. It just kept getting bigger and bigger. And then it looked like I was five months pregnant. And it was causing, then it was really worse with it pressing on my kidneys and my bladder. And it was so uncomfortable. I started to have back pain, you know, and it was really like, what is going on? So I go back to my gynecologist. She's like, you know, I don't know what's going on, but I really want you to go see a gynecological oncologist. We just need to rule out that it's not some kind of cancer. So I go to this doctor, this oncologist, and he said that, you know, the only way we're going to know if it's cancer is to do a hysterectomy. And there's no easy way to figure it out, basically. He said it could be, you know, is it like a couple different potential types of cancer? Anyway, at this point, though, I was ready to just get have a hysterectomy because I wasn't going to have children. And he basically said, what we'll do during the surgery is to send it to the pathology lab. You know, we'll take out your uterus, we'll send it to pathology. And if it's cancer, we'll have to take out your ovaries. But if it's not, we can leave them intact, which was, of course, the optimal idea to not be pushed immediately into menopause. And he just said, you know, I just am really concerned. I think this is like really the right route to go. We want to really ensure that because if it is cancer, we want to begin to treat it. So like very quickly within like three weeks, I think I, I had the surgery. At this point though, my stomach was so huge. And I was so uncomfortable that that to me felt like such the right thing to do. Like my gut feeling was like, this is definitely the right thing to do. And obviously with cancer, you don't want to be waiting. You want to be like waiting six months. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it'll get better. You want to be proactive. So I had the surgery. It ends up, it was not cancer, which was fabulous, needless to say, and a huge relief. And it also meant I got to keep my ovaries. So Wendy had the hysterectomy and learned she didn't have cancer and she got to keep her ovaries. This was all good news, of course. But for some women, having a hysterectomy still feels like a loss, regardless of the outcome. But not for Wendy. She was celebrating. I thought it was very emancipating for this to happen. I know that some people are mourning the loss of, you know, losing the potential to even have a baby. Even though I was 45, I was like celebrating it. I was like, girl, I was so happy. I was so happy because I did not have a period anymore. Yet I was not in menopause. So this to me was the best of both worlds. And I think one of the best days of my life was when I gave away all of my tampons, sanitary napkins. I was like, 
I do not have a period anymore. I do not have to go through this every month. I do not have to anticipate being in a bad mood, you know, and being all PMSy. I, it was awesome. And because I finally had got rid of it, my stomach went down. It was like, oh, I'm getting my body back. After feeling that I was five months pregnant, I got my body back. So I just felt like for me, it was just what I needed to do. It was the right thing to do. And I felt like it was almost like a new lease to not be thinking about, you know, how many times did you like leak all over your clothes when having a period? Even though you being thought you're being totally proactive or some months it was like outrageously heavy and you're like, shit, I'm not prepared. <laughs> you're like, you're like, I didn't, all right, you realize you're at work and it's, it happens because it can be sporadic. And you're like, I guess I used up all my supplies. I don't have any here. And so all those moments of those things that would drive you crazy or make you feel bad or just be like, I'm so sick of this, were gone. And that felt fantastic for me. I loved that feeling. So not having a uterus, but still having ovaries meant Wendy was still going to go through perimenopause, but it wasn't going to be the typical experience because Wendy had no more periods. My perimenopause experience has been interesting to say the least. And I think that, you know, the the great side was I got rid of my period. (laughs) That was like so joyful. The downside of that though, is that I don't really know. There's no trail to see it's trailing off or that I have a full year of no period and I'm actually in menopause. There really isn't a way to know that since I'm not getting my period anymore. And that part has been kind of confusing because I have for several years had hot flashes and bad moods, sort of the moodiness that can come with hormone change. Wendy started working with a naturopath to help with those symptoms of perimenopause. And through a combination of herbal supplements and homeopathic tinctures, she was able to find relief from the hot flashes, for example. But there was another symptom of perimenopause that Wendy had to deal with that totally caught her by surprise. I had sometimes the worst anxiety. And, you know, I like to think I'm a pretty calm person. I don't remember having anxiety attacks, but sometimes my heart would start racing and I would just feel like so on edge and totally anxious. And I didn't really know what it was. I mean, this wasn't something that happened to me before, but I came to realize that I think it was perimenopause. It was just one of those symptoms And I never, like, initially, I didn't associate it with that. I just was thinking, oh, this is so weird. I don't know why all of a sudden I'm doing something I'm enjoying and I feel, like, totally anxious. And it was horrible. And then my heart would beat so fast. And I was like, what is up? And I came to realize later that that was a symptom. So I think sometimes I would have things like that and I'd start to kind of put those pieces together. It's hard to say about like achy joints because I've got bad knees and my joints can already be like achy. So I don't know that like I experienced that, but that anxiety was horrible. And But it was random. It wasn't like I had it all the time and it wasn't so bad I needed like medication to control it, but I didn't feel good about that at all. So that was one that really threw me for a loop. Ironically, Wendy's mother also had fibroids, and she also had a hysterectomy. But when Wendy went to her mother to ask about her experiences, hoping for some advice or insight, some ways for her to deal with things like anxiety, this is what happened. 
when I asked her about it, she said, I don't really remember having hot flashes ever. I mean, she wasn't, <laughs> my mom is amazing, but she wasn't really helpful when it came to that. Like she didn't have any, you know, unfortunately any good advice or like, oh honey, I had worse hot flashes or this is what I did. I mean, so I felt like I was kind of like on my own, you know, having this experience. So Wendy, like most women, had to chart her own course to navigate her unique perimenopause experience. In addition to working with a naturopath, Wendy has been very proactive with diet and exercise. As a former health coach with mostly women clients, Wendy knows more than the average perimenopausal woman about nutrition and exercise and has used her knowledge to help herself. It's about knowing your body and making the right choices, she says. So I've come to learn that if I avoid dairy and gluten, not that I'm gluten sensitive, but just not eating that over time is helpful for me. If I'm not eating soy, there's a whole bunch of things that if I don't eat them, if I don't eat sugar, I feel much better. And I've realized that by not eating those things and also finding other substitutes so I don't feel like I'm missing them, I realized that I was losing some weight because I had gained a little bit, not like excessive. I've always been pretty small, but I was definitely gaining a little bit around the middle. But I realized, oh, I can actually feel better by not eating certain things and not really drinking. That makes me feel very empowered in my body. And that I don't have to be in that narrative of, I definitely have to gain weight as I age. I mean, yes, I'm sure over time, you know, the older we get, the less active we are. I mean, we can still be active, but so that might change. But I've come to realize that I can create my own narrative about what it means to be in my 50s or my 60s and have a really good relationship with my body that doesn't have to be this, oh gosh, you know, the only thing that can happen is I'm going to gain weight and not feel good about my body. Okay. So Wendy tries to avoid dairy and gluten and soy. Sugar is also on the no bueno list. So what does she eat that satisfies her? Breakfast might be sweet potato toast. So I take sweet potatoes and I cut them lengthwise and I bake them to make like toast. And then on top of that, I might put a fried egg or something like mushrooms and and spinach that I saute that I put on top of the sweet potato toast with like a fried egg or something like that for some protein. So that might be like a typical breakfast for me, something that I'm always trying to get some kind of vegetables in at all meals. And what about lunch? I tend to eat a salad of some type with kale or arugula that might be with some leftover chicken from dinner, or it might be salmon, or it might be like canned salmon because I'm trying to avoid bread. I mean, I don't eat that much bread anyway, so it's not that big of a deal, but I don't like eat sandwiches or that kind of thing so much until I fall off the wagon, then I might do that. But generally, (laughs) you know, so and the salad has, I'll cut up and put a pear in it. Like I always, again, try to think about how can I get multiple servings of fruits and vegetables in every meal? But I realized With just some preparation and being proactive, I can avoid all those things that I'm trying not to eat, like wheat and dairy, that I feel better not eating, simply by doing some planning in advance. So according to Wendy, the bottom line is this. In order to feel good while your body transitions through perimenopause, you have to listen to your body and feed it and care for it the way it needs to be fed and cared for. But she is the first to admit that that level of care requires serious commitment. 
And what I will say is that for me personally, to feel good in my body, whether it's what I'm eating or exercising, it takes effort. Like I decided I want to feel good in my body, which means I'm willing to get up every morning and exercise before I start work, which means I'm willing to go to the store and plan out my meals so we have healthy things on hand. And I'm not resorting to junk, which is what we can I can fall into when I'm like, oh, I'm tired. So I am working at it, but I, I want to work at it because I want to be my healthiest self. So it means I'm expending effort to feel good in my body so that, you know, it takes time and that's a choice. If Wendy sounds a bit like an evangelist about feeling good and being proactive about aging, it's because she has seen firsthand that age really is just a number. Wendy is the creator and host of an amazing podcast called Reinvention Rebels. And on that show, Wendy interviews women between ages 50 to 90 who have reinvented themselves in the most amazing ways. My favorite episode so far has been the one that featured the 70-year-old woman who retired and then became a fashion model. Oh, and I also love the one where the nun became a nightclub singer in her second act of life. So in addition to Wendy's own naturally optimistic attitude, she really has seen how aging can be reinvented. We live in an anti-aging society. It's all about focusing on being young and plump and vibrant. And it's almost like, but when you get to a certain age, it's like, well, that's over. I mean, the narrative, even though I feel like it's changing slowly, there's still the narrative that it's better to be young. It's better to be youthful, that we should do whatever we can to maintain our youth. And I just think that's crazy. I think that we need to normalize it so that it's okay to age. Like we're so anti, like, I don't want to get old, but why? There are so many great things that happen as we age. I feel like we're more reflective. We have more wisdom. We have all this experience that informs our decisions. I feel like I make much better decisions as I age. I have much greater perspective. I can keep things in perspective. I see new possibilities. So many things that didn't happen when I was younger when, frankly, I was clueless. You know, there's a reason we went through all those things to be able to be where we are today. So I think for me, it's about my mindset. And I've been able to shift my mindset to really appreciate what I have and what could be, which is really the idea of the podcast, Reinvention Rebels, which is stories of brave women, unapologetic women who have tuned into who they are and what they want to do and create in their lives as they age. Because I interview women that are between 50 and 90. And obviously when we're 50, we're at a very different stage than we are when we're 80, but we can reinvent ourselves at any time. And that's really the idea behind the podcast is to interview women that have in some way reinvented themselves. These, what I call reinvention rebels to really inspire other women because so many women are thinking I'm in menopause. I'm in perimenopause. I'm middle-aged. I can only do certain things. I can't do X anymore. And these women are showing us that anything is possible. We can move abroad. We can start modeling in our 70s. We can write our first book in our 60s. I mean, there's endless things that we can do. And I always believe that anything is possible. My basic mindset is anything is possible. Well, okay, I'm not going to be an Olympic athlete. So some things are not, but you know, within reason, of course, I believe anything is possible that if we put our mind to it, we can create anything we want. 
Reinvention Rebels is an extension of this pro-aging, new possibilities are on the horizon. I can dip into those possibilities and create amazing new things in my life, regardless of my age, that I can embrace where I am in any range of these ages and have a vibrant, satisfying, often exciting life that is totally fulfilling. And I don't care if I've been perimenopause or menopause, I can make that happen. And I feel like this is my mission, is to empower and inspire women about what's possible as we age. But how do we get to that place where we appreciate aging when society is saying, hang on to your youth for dear life? How do we look forward to getting older when we may be suffering through hot flashes, thinning hair, a flabby middle, and night sweats? You know, the buffet of indignities that comes with perimenopause. Well, Wendy has some ideas. I would say a couple things. One is definitely a gratitude practice. It's definitely thinking about what are all the things I'm grateful for? What is it that I appreciate in my life? Because I think that when we can tune into and build that gratitude muscle, we have much deeper appreciation for where we are, how we got to be where we are, that we got to even be this old, because it is a privilege to actually get to menopause or perimenopause, right? It's a privilege to me to be able to be healthy enough to get this far in our lives where we get to experience this. So that's one is beginning to have more gratitude for what we have, because then I think it helps us see what else could be possible. I think the second thing is about our mindset. How can we begin to shift our mindset? And I think gratitude helps us with this, but about new possibilities. and. For me, that means there must be people that you know that have gone through menopause or are going through perimenopause that you look up to or admire. So part of it to me is surrounding ourselves with people who are positive, who aren't pro-aging, whether it's people that you know and you can reach out to, people in your family, your colleagues, your friends, people that are really positive about this time in their lives instead of saying, well, this sucks and I can't stand it. It doesn't help us to surround ourselves with people, if we're already feeling that way, that are going to just, we could commiserate with, but so what? That's not helping us see new possibilities. And I think it's all about how can we take this time to see new possibilities? Because if we feel like we're losing something, let's replace that with something positive. Let's shift our mindset to something positive about what else we could do. So I feel like it's either reaching out to people that we may know, or we admire, or looking. I mean, there's so many other ways to hear these voices if it's not people we know in our immediate circles. It's going on YouTube. It's reading books. It's, you know, there's so many books about people's positive experiences going through changes that is not about all boohoo and everything we're losing. Or maybe part of that is, but then it's also, well, here's what I've learned. So we need to hear and listen to and see messages that are positive about this change in our life and see what's possible. Listening to podcasts. There are so many podcasts out there about what is possible. I mean, besides my own, of course, but I'm talking about seriously though, it doesn't matter what podcast it is. There's so many podcasts about midlife and seeing new possibilities. I think that we need to begin listening, watching, reading, surrounding ourselves with people that will lift us up that will empower us. So if we can't find it within ourselves, if we can't find it in our immediate circle, so what? Don't let that stop you. 
look a little further, reach a little further. And again, it goes back to the idea of our bodies. You got to make some effort. If you want to change, if you want to see new possibilities, if you want to be in a positive mindset about it, it's not going to happen by sitting on your couch and just complaining. It's going to be happened by taking action and getting out there and surrounding ourselves with people and things and new possibilities to get us moving. Because what I know for sure is that when I hear other people's stories, even if their stories are totally different than my own, I can always see a part of myself in their story. So can we all be reinvention rebels? We all have the possibility to create our own version, to re-emerge in whatever way we want during perimenopause, to find our best, most empowered selves. It just takes some self-exploration, self-awareness, and the desire to want to create something different and new. But we all have the ability, I believe, to do that. From your lips to God's ears. Thank you so much, Wendy, for sharing your story and your words of wisdom about reinvention and changing the narrative around aging. I hope you enjoyed Wendy's story as much as I did. And I hope something in her story and her testimony inspires you to think differently about your menopause journey, about aging, and about what comes next. Here are my takeaways. One. Having a hysterectomy can be freeing. No more periods. Number two, diet and exercise can definitely make for a better menopause experience, but it takes effort and commitment to see results. Number three, the path to feeling good about aging begins with gratitude. Just reaching the age of perimenopause or menopause is a gift. And number four, It is 100% possible to reinvent ourselves or chase our wildest dreams after age 50. And we can help make it seem more attainable by listening to the stories of people who are doing the things that we want to do. So if you want to hear some of these amazing stories, tune into Wendy's podcast, Reinvention Rebels, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow Wendy on Instagram at Reinvention Rebels or on Twitter at Rebels Reinvent. You can also check out her website at reinventionrebels.com. All those links, of course, are in the show notes. Thank you so much for supporting this passion project of a podcast. My goal for this show is to make this podcast a reminder in every woman's ear that perimenopause may suck, but it is the gateway to a new you a new stage in life, and possibly, just maybe, the best time in your life. So if you're listening now and you learned something new about the perimenopause experience, or you heard something that inspired you to think differently about your own menopause journey, please tell a friend about this show. Maybe they need to learn something new too. Remember, friends don't let friends menopause alone. Okay, that's all I have to share this week, but I'll be back next Wednesday with another new story. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss it. And if you want to find even more information and inspiration about the perimenopause experience and the menopause journey in general, be sure to follow My Bloody Hell on Instagram, on Facebook, 
and check out our website at mybloodyhell.com. So until next week, Wonder Women, be good to yourselves, get some snacks from Yum Day, and maybe take a walk. The My Bloody Hell podcast is produced by me, Lori L. Tharps. Our editor and technical director is Brad Linder. Our theme music was composed by Good B Music. And hey, one last thing before you go. I am not a doctor nor any type of medical professional. Therefore, do not use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for verifiable medical advice or information. Always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have any medical questions or concerns regarding menopause or any other health-related issue. Thank you.